When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Great physical strength could kill, but it's a risk I'll have to take. Something bothering you, Mrs. Spock? End of day. The freedom of speech is being taken away. And welcome to a brand new life, to a brand new day, all the way from the wastelands of California. My name is Michael, and I look forward to once again serve you those sounds of salvation. First time listeners, turn on, tune in, and drop out. This is a different kind of show, a place where you don't feel so alone. Let us chase away the light no matter what you at home choose to believe. I do admire you for your curiosity. Live and direct right now on the TuneIn radio app. Don't search end of days. You won't be finding me on the 24-7 network currently right now. I am on Steampunk Radio. That's where you'll find the program for a short time. Joining me this evening is Dr. Albert Taylor. He performed development engineering on a top-secret program, which has since become known as the F-117A Stealth Fighter. He evaluated satellite system designs in support of former President Reagan's Strategic Defense Initiative. Taylor is currently a metaphysical researcher, teacher, lecturer, artist. He is an active member of International Association of Near-Death Studies and a participant in the Monroe Institute's online email Voyagers program. Once again, thank you for allowing me into your hearts and into your minds. Here we are again on a night like this. Greetings, boys and girls. I certainly missed all of you out there. Those of you listening live on the stream and those on Twitter, I missed all of you. Always an honor and pleasure to be here. And I believe my guest is ready. Albert, is that you? Yes, it is. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. And yourself? I can't complain. I'm feeling pretty good tonight. Good. Yeah, how, how you been? I haven't talked to you in a while now. Uh, well, I mean, other than, you know, my friend of mine passing away, Art Bell, um, pretty good. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, um, my personal life is pretty good, and, and other things is just, you know, that there's a lot of it, um, uh, activity around that right now. So that kind of brings down the energy, you know. It really does. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, um, I don't know if you know Heather Wade, who took over for him. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's talk, she said she was going to quit yesterday. So, That's the latest thing I've heard. Yeah. I think that would be a great mistake. It's a very unfortunate, because, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I know, you know, Art knew that he wouldn't last forever in doing the show, and he picked her. So he picked her for a reason, so... 
I think she should do the show. You know, it's not about her anyway. I, it's about it's not about us who do the show. It's about the list. Yeah, you know what? You're right. Yeah. You're right about that. And Albert, I am hearing just a little bit of popping, like you've mentioned. Yeah, I hear it. Um, like a, a a bad LP. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. You want to call me back, or you... uh, I could I could call you back if you want. Okay, let's see if that works. All right. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. So, as I was saying earlier, we haven't talked in a while, and all kinds of things have gone down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's um, there's a disturbance in the force, if you want to look at it that way. It certainly there's seems a, that way, yeah. There's a shifting. Well, things are shifting. There's, You know, this is an unstable period, and, and things are, are going to settle uh, once everybody finds their position. So, it's just unsettling right now and you know we're, we're counting our, our losses and that's you know it's just a difficult time for everybody you know but, right. but it won't always be like this yeah the world is in a very strange point in time in my opinion yeah yeah it is it, it but it won't always be way. like this I, I think you know i think history has shown that we we may take time and we may take a few steps backwards but we definitely move uh, toward the, the betterment of man. So, you know, I think um, it's just a matter of time before things start shifting to a more positive uh, direction, I think. so. Yeah, and the, and the very first time I heard you was way back in uh, 1999 with your interview with Art. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the very first show I I, I believe I heard of, of either you or Art. Well, the, oh, really? Oh, I think so. The first show I did with Art was... Uh, 1996, believe it or not, um, on Coast to Coast. He, and as a matter of fact, he had two shows then. He yeah. had Coast to Coast, and he had, um, uh, what was the other yeah, one? Yeah, that was the replay I heard. No, it was, um, uh, oh, God. It had to do with uh, Area 51 or Dark Man. Dark Man? I don't remember. He had another one. You mean when he came back? Oh, no, back in 1996. He had two shows. And they were closely related, of course, but one he had a, I just can't think of the name of it, but then, and then he gave up that, and then when he came back, yeah, that's right, Dreamland. Oh, Dreamland, right, right. Yeah, that was still on, on the same network, but a different kind of show anyway. Yeah, a little Um, different. Yeah, yeah, a little different, you know. Um, And then when he left, um, I, I don't remember when Ramona passed away, and if that was the reason. First wife, um, but then he left, and when he came back, I think he only did coast to coast. But uh, Ramona and I were pretty close too. We used to talk all the time. Yeah, you were lady. you were on the show when it was in its prime. Yeah, yeah, and he launched me into into orbit uh, as a result. So I owe him uh, uh, more than I can even put into words. And, uh, by the way, Coast to Coast AM did put on a tribute show for him, and I'm surprised you weren't on there. Um, I think I listened to something they posted on the web of different clips and things like that. Um, I, I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't know about it, and I don't, it doesn't really matter as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it really doesn't, yeah. though, but. Yeah, as long as the people got out of it with their to, and they remember Art as, as he was. It sure would have been pioneer that he was. Right. It sure would have been nice to have heard your voice, though. Pardon me? I said it would have been nice to have heard your voice, though. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. 
I, yes. I, I look at myself as having just doing the coast to coast one time is is the uh, icing on the cake to me, and I think I've been on there 30 times. So yeah, you were on there with, a lot. One more time is as I'm way over overwhelmed with the times I've been on there. I've done. I mean, with George Norrie and, you know, all the other substitutes. And I think I was just on with uh, Connie Willis not too long ago. So I, I've, I've been blessed. I, I'm, I'm grateful. And, and the people that I needed to touch, I'm sure, uh, by the emails I get, I guess I reached out and touched them. So. You really have. Yeah. You certainly so have. I'm, I'm content. Yeah, I'm content. And uh, wh- where were you when you heard the news? Um, I was on my computer, uh, just, uh, see, I, and I knew that something was up because, um, Heather Wade and I, I, I monitor her, her Facebook feed. So I knew something up when she didn't do the show and, uh, I have, I called her and she didn't answer and I suspected something had gone wrong, but I knew Art was in the hospital, um, a few months back. Um, and, and he, he got out, so I was either thinking that he was back in the hospital or something else happened, and um, shortly thereafter, I saw something on uh, another news feed that broke, and uh, I was sitting in my office at home because I had like a four-screen setup, you know, big kind of thing where I could monitor four different news feeds at Very the same nice. time. Very nice, right. Yeah. And uh, I saw it on one, and, I, and then I started probing into it and looking into it. And my resources and my limited resources, I know a few people at Coast to Coast still, and, and that confirmed it. And, and um, uh, it just hit me like a stone in the in the, in the stomach. Um, it was a, I can't even like I said, I can't even begin to tell you, I would not be here without him. That just, I, I mean, I would be doing something else, but I would not be doing what I'm doing now at all. Yeah, you. He he really put you over. He, he drove me to number one times bestseller. There you I, go. I can't even. Yeah, I mean, after that, what do you say? Yeah. You know. How do you think someone I, after that, right? Yeah, it's like okay. I mean, I, if you're not satisfied with that, <laughs> you never will be. <laughs> right. And, and you know, and I, when Art called me, oh, are we doing the show now? We sure are. <laughs> Just because there's so so many wonderful things that have happened. That I wanted to share yeah. uh, regarding art, yeah, no and um, uh, one. Of, let me. Well, let me start from the very beginning because uh, he. I consider art and my my relationship with him uh, a miracle. The biggest, probably the biggest miracle in my life. And um, in 1996, um, I published. I self-published uh, a book called about my ex- uh, out-of-body experiences. Um, I'm still uh, working on the, um, in aerospace, and I decided, I felt spiritually that I just, uh, it was really important to get this information out to people, so I actually sucked it in, and I actually left aerospace to self-publish this book, Soul Traveler. And um, I found a distributor and all that stuff that you do. And, get in. and things were creeping along. I wouldn't say, you know, I'd, I could pay my bills. I was in debt because I'd borrowed a lot of money to, to for the publishing company. Right. And about two months into the progress, I got a letter from my distributor 
which I thought I would be making some money. I hadn't done any very much radio, but I thought I'd be making enough to pay my bills. And I got a letter from my distributor saying that they were going bankrupt with everything that I had earned, and I might be able to get ten cents on the dollar. Which I can tell you, twenty-two years later, I had never collected a dime of that money. So all of a sudden, about two or three months after I got that letter. I literally was sitting on the edge of my bed at 3 o'clock in the morning with an eviction notice, with a notice that was going to shut off my electricity, um, my uh, Internet account, all my bill, everything oh. that you – my car, there was a, a repo, man looking for my car, and I was going to be homeless in about two to three weeks. And I sat there. And, you know, because this is uh, my experiences that I've had, these out-of-body experiences are real. There's just, I can't go uh, even stress that enough. No matter what happens on, to me physically, I know that I have a soul and I know there's uh, other um, uh, souls that I've been in contact with. It's just, that's, that will, uh, I will take that till I transition out of this body. And something I just know from the experience. So, given that, and that's really, really important, is because uh, um, uh, having hope and, and faith is not as strong as knowing something, and I know that I'm not alone. Uh, and I said to in the room, sitting there three o'clock in the morning, um, I know that I never thought I could do this on my own. I thought that you wanted me to do this, and if you want me to do this, I was talking to my higher self, my guides, my yeah. guardian angels, whoever who was listening. God, whoever, and I said, if you want me to do this, I need a miracle. And I turned over and I went to sleep. I woke up the next morning and I figured I'd check my email address because it was going to be cut off real soon. And there was an email in there that said, please call me, Art Bell. The very next, this was like four hours after my prayer. It was up at 3 o'clock in the morning. Wow. Went to bed, got up about 7 or 8. And I thought it was a joke. I thought, you know, I, I'd heard Art Bell on the radio because I, you know, I was into that, you know, that type of thing. But I, I thought this he doesn't know who I am. Doesn't even know who I'm alive. And I'm selling. I'm literally selling books that I self-publish out of my trunk of my car. I mean, that's I had an, an zero exposure, I'd say. So I thought it was a joke. And I opened it up, and there was a telephone number in there. And I called the telephone, and I, I said hello, and a familiar raspy voice picked up the phone and said, uh, answered, and I said, Art Bell? And he said, yeah. And I said, this is Albert Taylor. I said, you sent me an email? He said, yeah, yeah, Al. He said, people have been calling my show for the last two weeks uh, uh, asking, talking about out-of-body experiences, and somebody sent me uh, a copy of your book and said, you wrote a book on the subject, and I want you to do the show, do my show. And I said, okay. I said, when? He said, tonight. He said, about an hour or so, you, you know, and then he said, we'll see how it goes. And I said, all right. So I hung up the phone, and I literally looked around the room and said, oh, my God, you work fast. Talking to my guys. <laughs> right. I thought, oh, my God, you work fast. Well, to make a uh, long story short, um, I ended up doing that his show that night, and not only did I do the hour, I did the five hours of the show. show. Uh, I took calls from people all over the world. Uh, he had, uh, at that particular time, 20 million listeners, and I gave – I, all I had was a, a new phone number for a new distributor, and that was it. And I hadn't even signed a contract with them, and 
I gave that number out over the air, and um, after the show was over, I got a call first thing in the morning from my distributor, my new distributor, and said, oh, my God, what did you do? And I said, I did a show last night, and I gave out the number. And he said, we haven't seen anything like this in a long, long time. And to make a long story short, um, my agent called me a few um, – oh, and let me tell you this, how wonderful, how much he affected me. So I'm sitting there, and now I'm able to at least pay my bills, which I'm happy about. And then um, I was sitting there by the radio, and Coast to Coast was about to come on. It was uh, almost 10 o'clock, and I thought, you know, I don't want to be greedy or anything, but it sure would be nice if Art replayed my show tonight. And I was sitting there, and about 10, 15 minutes later, the show came on, and Art started talking. It was a, re- a, re- a replay, and he said, and tonight uh, my special guest is Albert Taylor, and literally, 10 minutes after I said the prayer, it came on the repeat of the first show, which had an r- incredible, uh, I mean, I was already off the launch pad and, uh, and about to achieve suborbital flight with the book, but the boosters kicked in from the second show and literally put the book in orbit. And um, within a week or so, my agent called me and said, you better go get a copy of the L.A. Times. Ooh, and I said, right. okay. And I went out and I grabbed the L.A. Times and I came back and I looked in the book section and there was Albert Taylor, uh, Soul Traveler, number one Times bestseller, L.A. Times bestseller. Blew me away. Changed my life forever, forever. And and then all because of that prayer and then art being uh, a part of that whole thing and responding within four hours of my prayer. If that's not a miracle, I don't know what is. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, art, art meant a lot to uh, many people. He meant uh, meant the world to a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, there's nobody out there. I mean, there may be some copycats right now, and I'm, I don't mean to belittle them in any way at all. But there's some, you know, um, other shows out there that may cover the, the subject matter that Art did. But the way he covered it was what made him unique. Right. That's uh, his own style. You know, yeah, he had his own style, and he wasn't trying to teach you something so much as to let the information teach its own lesson. Right. He also, right. Yeah, he wouldn't he wouldn't force his his beliefs on it so much as I've heard uh, a few other people. He would just kind of you know uh, explore it. You'd be it's almost like you're sitting hand, side by side with him, and you're both exploring this new territory. Yeah, and I, I appreciate. Right, yeah. I appreciate that approach, and that's something uh, that's something interesting you just brought up. Uh, there's different things uh, of that o- occasion that definitely irked me. W- one of those things that do bother me is when the host is uh, interviewing the guest, and it almost seems like the host is trying to impress the guest with uh, his yeah. knowledge. I, I always right. thought that's kind of annoying. Right. Yeah, and and it's, I've been on shows and. And pretty, you know, pretty popular ones. And the host was, uh, he was almost acting as if he knew more than the guest. I don't like that at all. On the subject. And I mean, what's the point? If you, if that's the case and that's the way you're going to do show, why even invite the guest? Exactly. What's the point? You know, when you invite an author, an author is short for authority. And when you invite an author, you, he's the authority, and, and a good host knows how to, you know, guide a show from beginning to end because that is a – it's almost like you're a, 
uh, a conductor in an orchestra because you really have to keep it on track, keep guests on track, keep the questions on track, keep the get, uh, the, get the commercials in, and, and if you're taking phone calls, you're kind of orchestrating this whole thing. Yeah. But you don't want to create the information. You don't want to be part of that process because what that does is it, it contaminates what the author or interview the guest would be you know, able to convey to your audience. That, that's very want, useful information. I, I hope people that do have shows listen to this and, and take note. Well, and that's I've learned that over the years and of of doing good and bad shows. I can't. I hate to use the word bad too, but you know, doing good shows and not so good shows, and and what what it took to do that. And some were in studio and some were out, you know, at home. And I, I've learned um, um, some. I bet, matter of fact, I can say this. I admire some of the talents that some of the radio uh, uh, hosts really have. Oh, there's some good ones out there, yeah. Yeah, it's like I can't go out and and uh, and rap and, and do uh, uh, that kind of thing, but I admire the people who can, you know, like Kendrick Lamar, and, and it can rap at incredible speeds where my tongue will be tripping over. So I am, I see the uniqueness and and the the talent in that area, and and I also see the talent in a good host of a radio show, especially in esoteric subject matter and paranormal uh, uh, subjects that art and others have done. So I can really see that. Yeah, you and have a good, you definitely have a good sense for that, Albert. Well, I, it's, and it's taken, you know, I've, I've learned it over years, and oh, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm very observant, um, and it fascinates me. Human behavior and the nature of human uh, consciousness fascinates me anyway, so... And I and I like to learn from the best and people who have those abilities because you know I, that's what it's all about. Everybody should seek that out. And so I've I've uh, had experiences and watched and uh, and and also I've Art and I have kind of had conversations off radio. I mean, he called me one time from I think it was uh, it was India or Thailand because he had an out of body experience in a hotel. You know, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you're bringing that up because I don't think I've, I've ever heard you talk about art off the air, so continue. No. Yeah, I, I never do because that was our personal uh, experience. Right. But, yeah, he called me. Uh, he and Ramona were in Thailand, I believe. And, he, he, you know, up until that time, I think we'd done about maybe three or four shows or maybe five, I don't know, I can't remember. And it was always me talking about my experiences. And he was, you know, open-minded and things like that, but he had nothing personal to draw upon. And in that night in Thailand, he had his first full-blown uh, autobiography experience that he uh, could recall yeah. because everybody has them, but he could recall every detail to it. And all of a sudden, he went from, having faith or uh, um, an explorer to an experiencer, and that changed him. And he called me immediately to tell me that, that he, I know what you're talking about. Oh, man, and he was so excited. It, first of all, it blew me away that he was calling me, and it blew me away he was out of the country calling me. <laughs> right. But his enthusiasm was so, uh, and, and I totally understood it. It was, you can, you know, it's funny, you can tell, when someone has one and when someone's faking it or trying to pretend they have had a near-death experience or a by experience. You can tell. Yeah, you can There's tell for about, sure. Oh, yeah, the, the way they describe it, the, the sparkle in their eyes and the excitement in the voice, and, and it usually has a beginning and end. It has, you know, there's a story to tell. Yeah. So I, when he told me, 
I listened, and it changed him. It changed him into a better host because our next show after that, it was he didn't he wasn't trying to steer the conversation, but he could verify things from his own personal experience when I addressed them, and that's rare. You know, that's like you know you're you know it's like a doctor being on a, 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 a medical show and the host being able to understand certain procedures and analysis or diagnosis that the doctor's doing. And that's rare to have that insight. And that, I think, personally, I think that's what really made our shows really unique, uh, really fun, and, and above all, joyful, because there's a certain amount of joy that comes with the out-of-body experience. Uh, uh, there's a certain amount of peace and joy that comes with um, understanding who and what you really are as a soul, and I got a glimpse of that, and I I believe that that was reflected in every show he did thereafter. Yeah, you, both of you did incredible programs together over the years, and art was controversial mm-hmm. outside and inside of radio. Right, but that but was, he's that human. was a, he was human. Yeah, that's a part and, of and, you know. That's a part of yeah. We're yeah, human. It's part you of the formula. Yeah, and and life, we we don't know what's going to happen. It's going to knock us down. It's going to beat us oh, up. Yeah. And and we, it's just you know, one of the things of, that I admire about him and others is he kept getting up and and trying it again. And even, I mean, I lost my mom, my mother, um, seven years ago, uh, and I still had radio shows to do and, and lectures and personal appearances and things like that. And I couldn't do it. It was I was devastated um, losing her, and I didn't know how I was going to go on after that. And um, you know, by the grace of God and, and all my support, my family, and things like that, I'm, I managed to muster the, the strength and, and and press on, persevere. I'm always I was blown away by him able to come back from losing Ramona because. I, I know how close they were. I like I said, I used to call her at home and just talk talk with Ramona, and Art wasn't even around because she was just a nice, nice person. Uh, so I know how close they were, and I am I'm almost ninety percent sure how I know how it affected him, and it was devastating to him, especially because he was the one who found her. You know that morning. Yeah, and. You know, and did you did you ever happen to hear the recording of him talking about all of that? Yeah, I think I did uh, uh, after a while because he had he it, it was took heavy. off. And, Some yeah, heavy it stuff was there. extremely heavy, yeah. you know, about that. And and I and he and I, you know, and I I, I wrestled with because sometimes what Art would do is he'd call me, you know, fifteen twenty minutes before the show, and we'd just talk, catching up on different things. And um, he called me the first time after Ramona had passed, and I really didn't know how to address it because I knew he'd heard that so many times over and over again, you know, about, you know, uh, sorry to hear about your wife, blah, blah, blah. And he, he even heard on his show, people, callers would just call in. And after a while, what do you say? You know, you're the person, you know. And I didn't want to be one more person in line doing that. Um, but... Because she was my friend too, I looked at her as a friend, and I, you know, I, I, I did manage to talk to him a little bit about it, but not in the detail that a lot of people would do. And I was at awe at how strong he was and how he he had admitted 
the hurt and the pain and did something other, uh, in spite of it. That I was so impressed with. Um, there's only a few people that I can really, it, it chokes me up to see that kind of strength in, and one of them is art. And the other person that gets me that way is Patton Oswalt, the comp comedian. Uh, and he lost his wife a few years ago. And yet he, he took some time off and he came back and he did a comedy special. You know, that's a name I didn't ever imagine you ever saying. I didn't know you were a fan of stand-up comedy. Oh, I'm a huge fan of Patton Oswalt. Wow. A huge fan. Uh, can't wait for him to come out here. I'm going to go see him immediately. What, can't wait. Now that you brought up that, what do you think about Louis C.K.? Were you ever a fan? I was, yeah. I I'm, still I'm still a fan. I'm still a fan. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm going to separate the comedian from the, the other, the personality. The Correct. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I love his work, his writing, his comedy, his timing. Uh, I always, I, you know, one of the things that I've always wanted to do, people would ask me, if you weren't doing what you do now, what would you, what would you do? And I'd say I'd be a stand-up comedian. Oh, I love that. Because, yeah, be, I used to That's hang awesome. out at the comedy store, and, I mean, I used to, I saw Andy Kaufman there. I, I oh, mean, wow. I, you know, because I lived in L.A., and I yeah, used to go up to the comedy store all the time. And because I really thought about doing comedy. I even wrote skits out. So, I yes, never I can appreciate. That. I never yeah, knew you were that deep into it. Well, if you read the, the, um, the little hint... In some of the comments on the cover of my book, I think it's from Publishers Weekly, where they write, they say, uh, uh, Albert Taylor writes with wit and humor. So well, that, that's yeah, a little clue. That is true, though. Yeah, that's a little clue that, um, you know, of, and I always think of my lectures as stand-up comedy skit that you learn something spiritual from. That's a good that's way to look at I, it. You know, that's how I do it. So I can uh, really appreciate the time, the, the technical aspect of comedy and, and performers. That's not so, easy. No, no, no. There's, they have a callback. There's certain things they're doing. I mean, it's really, it's not just haphazard. They're, it's structured. Yeah, they and, put and some well work written. in there. Yeah, and well-written, and I can appreciate that. So uh, with Louis C.K., I can appreciate his ability to do that. Um, you know, um, uh, Pee Wee Herman had some issues, you know, he had, he was talented <laughs> yes. in in that regard in comedy and things like that. And he had issues. The thing about it is we're human and we make really, really bad decisions. Dumb sometimes. mistakes, right. Really I mean and, and that's never going to stop because I don't think we'd be here if that ever stopped because there would be no point in it. You know, we might as well go on to the next level of consciousness. So, um some mistakes are gonna be bigger than others and because of of uh, social uh, pressures that continually evolve and change and things that you could have said a long time ago or even done a long time ago, you can't do now. You really can't. So, you really can't. Yeah, so the behavior could be the same, but you're out of date, and you can't do that today. Like from one of the things I, I, I like watching this one uh, network mm -hmm. that plays old-time television shows and comedies. And I was watching The Honeymooners, and I couldn't believe how inappropriate that how that show was and the things he was saying. You couldn't you couldn't make a write a show like that and, and keep it on the air. So things have have changed, 
And um, but people haven't. Yeah, and, people and, haven't. That's true. No, and people things, haven't really changed it. Things, well, you know, what motivates a person a long time ago kind of motivates a person today. <laughs> Still the right. same thing. It's and, just you know, and, it's just terrible that in 2018 someone could say something that they disagree with and uh, get you in trouble and probably cost your livelihood. Yeah, there, there's um, and that's the thing. That's about, unfortunate. Yeah, because there's no governor, you know, like on a, a, a an engine. Right. There's a, some a restrictor. There's something that keeps it from going um, full bore, like you know. And there's no governor on that. And so once we turn it on, there's no stopping in it, and, and it's almost like a water wiggle, and it just it's just going to go all over the place and hit anybody that's within range. And that and that's something that we we when you introduce a new. Uh, uh, process like that it's going to take time for you to get control of it and and not to go overboard and not to go underboard because you'll have to see what's the good thing to do the right thing to do to press on it to keep a functioning society so it, it you know right now political correctness is running around and, and taking out a lot of uh, people who haven't really done that much right like you know and and i don't want to get political too much but I don't really think, you know, I'm a huge Saturday Night Live fan, and I have been for years and years and years because a lot of comedians have been on there. But Al Franken, he really didn't do, if you want to compare him to uh, Anthony Weiner, there's a huge, huge difference. Oh, my, yes. Between the two, you know, so, but because of that, you know, when you first introduce this thing and people are saying, yeah, yeah, it's, we got to be politically correct, but it runs amok. And it's, it's, it's going all out of control until we get a handle on what we're really trying to accomplish, you know. And some people are extreme about that, and some people think it doesn't mean anything. So we, until we find this balance, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be, you know, t- whittling away at some some situations and people, and uh, that maybe aren't necessarily deserving of of all that attention. And that's unfortunate. It really is unfortunate. But but time will tell, and we will find a, a bad balance and a center, and I think we will progress and move on from there. Yeah, I certainly hope so. We need to evolve. It it's certainly time now. It's well, it's over. It's past due. Is, it's painful. Growth is painful. We have been evolving. We really haven't stopped. It's just you know it slows down to a grinding halt sometimes, and then old. Behaviors, it's almost like losing weight. <laughs> you know, you may lose weight and then you grind to a halt, and then you start thinking about that cheeseburger. So old behaviors <laughs> start coming back into play, and we gain a few pounds and, and, you know, and regret, and then we have to recommit and, and go back to what we were doing. And that's kind of how, uh, societal norms are is, you know, we, we make these drives, and then sometimes things will happen. People with, that been have been suppressing their beliefs uh, and what they want may be uh, in, uh, empowered under certain circumstances, and they come forth now and saying, "Hey, we want to do this, and this is how society should be, or we need to go back to the way it was." And those kind of things happen. But th- I, th- I believe that we are becoming um, better as, as human beings. Uh, we are becoming smarter. We are becoming more compassionate, and we are becoming spiritual. And I think those things are going to manifest a positive future for us. And the negative behavioral type of things that we as humans used to do, 
and still continue to do sometimes will become obsolete and and um and and and, and disregarded and and discarded because they no longer serve us. I really believe, you know, the definition of insanity is not being able to make an intelligent uh, decision for yourself. And I don't believe humanity is insane. I think that we're going to be able to make uh, intelligent, rational decisions for ourselves. It's just going to be uh, a very strenuous and painful growth period. Oh, yes. Can't argue with you on that one. We just have to uh, stay optimistic, I, I would have to believe. And uh, by the way, I'm still getting emails from uh, flat earthers, uh, doctor. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not exactly sure why. Um, in, in 2018, this is still occurring. <laughs> I, I'm not sure what what exactly is up with these folks that uh, truly believe in such things. Michael, I, got, I worked in aerospace for a long, long, long time. And there was a, a company that I worked for that um, – Design uh, the refuel, a refueling pod that they would attach to a an aircraft for fighters, naval fighters, to refuel in the air. Um, some of the top-notch engineers uh, worked on that program, and um, I got a tiny chance to work with them. And one of those engineers believed that the Earth didn't believe in dinosaurs, didn't believe the Earth was more than six thousand years old, oh, in spite. No. In spite of him being a very educated individual and and able to look at and and disseminate detailed technical information, so given that that and that really, I had to step back a minute because I couldn't understand that. How could you be so technical and understand that? There's certain sciences to engineering. You must have I mean, had some. some you must have had some fun conversations with him then. It, it was it was mind blowing. It was illuminating. Oh my! And it it gave me a perspective of of other people in the world because just because you can tie your shoes and put on a hat and go to work and come home and hold a job and pay your bills doesn't mean everything is working correctly and that your perspective is is right on. It doesn't mean that. And we assume that when we look at a person outwardly and we see these indicators that that means that they think like uh, the majority of people would think. And that's not true. Uh, and that's something that's hard to to uh, accept sometimes. But it, but that's what I realized when I was working with individuals who didn't believe in certain factual sciences. Um, and and you know we don't know. Um, I remember a mentor told me he said he said when you he said we are as different on the inside of our heads as we appear to be on the outside. So what that meant is each one of us has a unique look, and you know you can recognize a friend, but inside you have we have no idea how the brain is functioning, or even if it's even functioning properly. That's true. Or if if even all of it's there. My mentor said he said you may think somebody is strange today, then when they pass away and they do an autopsy on them, and they realize oh my God this guy only had a brain stem and he didn't even have a brain, you're gonna look back at everything you thought was strange and go you know what he did pretty good considering. <laughs> yes, that's very that, you know what that's very true. It's, it's almost like the same thing with my uh, old biology teacher who was a Jehovah's Witness, which is very odd for me to take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not, oh. 
not exactly sure how she got to to that point. But same way with with the flat earther over there. I'm I'm not sure how you go uh from point A all the way to uh your final well, destination there. It's just it's odd. I can okay, this is how I look at it, you know. I can respect uh of a person with uh, um uh a belief system that he thinks is correct, but I I don't spend a whole lot of time with people who aren't willing to explore beyond that and be open-minded. Open-minded, correct. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because if you're not open-minded, you're never going to find the truth and you're probably going to be stuck. Yeah. And and I mean, scientists, we I mean, we've changed Pluto to a, a dwarf planet. We know now that there's other moons. I mean, we we have to evolve. Otherwise, we think the earth is flat, you know. Um, there was a guy who uh, I think he just fired a missile a few couple thousand feet in the air. Oh, yes. To prove the uh, he was a flat Earth uh, society guy. You don't even need to do all that if you study how planets form. Just forget about the Earth. Just look at how all the other planets and moons have formed and what causes them to form that way, like accretion, which is the little particles sticking together in, in zero gravity. Correct. And after, after they become 500 miles in diameter, the actual gravitational force crushes them down into a sphere. So it's not about belief. It's, you, you know, believing one thing but then finding evidence of another fact and that fact has to influence the belief system, otherwise you're lost, and you never will find the truth. And I believe that if, you, if we as a species, if we don't seek the truth, then we will inevitably become extinct because we won't be able to fix problems and solve issues that we're presented with. If, you know, it's like, it's like an ostrich, you know, if they really do that, sticking your head in the sand. And you know, when and, uh, a predator is coming, you're going to get eaten. It's just going to happen. So um, I believe that we need to do that. We, you know, uh, uh, flat earthers, if you're out there, God bless you. But research, do research. Why? Ask yourself, why are the planets this circular? Why, is, why do I think the earth is flat? And then go up in an airplane, as high as the airplane can fly, and I'll guarantee you, that the higher you go up, you'll start seeing the curvature of the earth. I, I mean, it's, it's there. And you can't say it's flat when you can look out the window and see it for yourself. So, I mean. Outrageous, uh, really. God bless them. <laughs> but, you know, there's information out there readily available. And it's, it's healthy to be skeptical, but it's unhealthy to be close-minded. We, we still love them very much, though. Oh, completely. Nothing Completely. but love. Well, yes. I, want, I wouldn't kick them off the planet for anything in the world. I'm with you on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, one of the other topics that I, I often I hear all the time on the – well, from listeners, rather, is why we haven't gone back to the moon. And, uh, you know, Donald Trump recently – well, not recently. Um, might have been a couple months back. He actually had mentioned um, wanting to go back to the moon and to go to Mars. I'm not exactly sure if you saw that. Yeah, yeah. That speech um, he gave. Well, having been in, spa in aerospace and space program for a long, long, long time, correct. I can kind of tell you what what has happened uh, and how we got there, because I was on the redesign of the space station when 
when Bill Clinton changed it. You know? You're the man to ask, right. I was there, yeah, I was there. So um, this is what happened, and it start, starts off with um, uh, Richard Nixon. Um, we had two shuttle designs uh, that we were going to build. One was the shuttle that everybody knows um, that we've retired since, and the other one was Shuttle C, which we were going to build them both at the same time. Shuttle C was bigger and had and was going to use utilize heavy lift capability and design that we'd learned from the Apollo missions. And Richard Nixon, he decided that he was going to disband the board that planned NASA's future, that you know projected things in the future that they wanted to do. He disbanded them, and then he canceled Shuttle C. So then all of a sudden now we had a National Space, Admi- uh, Space Administration with no leadership uh, as far as way of future, you know, projection of future missions, and we were stuck with just one vehicle that was only capable of going 300 miles approximately above the Earth. So we went from a heavy lift booster uh, like the Saturn V, uh, which could go to the moon 250,000 miles uh, away, to something that could only go 300, so 300 miles up, and that's it. And so what do you do with that? Well, we'll build a space station, you know, uh, was the idea. Okay, and the shuttle can go to the space station, and what we'll do is uh, this is when it was Space Station Freedom, because now it's the International Space Station, but this is when it was Space Station Freedom. And what we'll do is we'll build a, a hangar on the space station that will allow us to assemble interplanetary spacecraft in space. So we don't need the shuttle to be able to go any further than it does. All we need is to go up to the space station Freedom, which will have a hangar, and we'll put parts, send it up parts, and we'll build an interplanetary vehicle, like kind of like a mothership kind of thing. I mean, not looking like something out of Star Trek, but you know what I you get you know, kind of like. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like what was in the Martian, mm-hmm. you know, the Hermes, that kind of thing. As a matter of fact, exactly that. Okay, so then Bill Clinton is elected president. And the first thing he said, and I remember I was in charge uh, of the cupola, which is the windows assembly that you look down on Earth. Uh, right. And I was in charge of the airlock, which you use to do, you know, EVAs, go out into space. And I was also in charge of the... Uh, command and control node, which is uh, that's the nodes on each end of the modules that the, everything plugs into. It's where all the computers, all that stuff is. It looks like a giant Lego kind of thing. Uh, and I also also uh, am, um, uh, and um, responsible for the habitation module. So Clinton says, well, right now our projected cost for this uh, space station freedom is eight billion dollars. And I want you guys to bring that price down to, you know, cheaper to $6 billion or less. And now we're thinking, oh, my God, because we now we have international partners. We, you know, the, the uh, Japanese have built, uh, we've shared design, and they build modules. And a lot of testing and research and everything uh, has gone into Space Station Freedom. And now we have to re- redesign and scale all that back. And we could no longer afford uh, a hangar to build an interplanetary vehicle with. We could no longer uh, uh, support the station at the size it was because it was the space station freedom would have been a lot bigger than international space station. And so we started the redesign process. And over the period of about two to three years, 
we realized that because we pretty much everything we had done, a lot of things we had done were going in the trash heap, and that was extremely costly. And now we're asking uh, our domestic engineers and our, our friends overseas who were part of this program to scrap everything and redesign to make it smaller and better, more cost-effective, effective, so we could save $2 billion per direction by Bill Clinton. Well, at the process, when it was over, it ended up climbing because of all the redesign and all the things that no one planned on, least of all the White House, to from $8 billion to $32 billion just to build the International Space Station. So we ended up spending four times as much money for less uh, capability and, and, and uh, a delayed deployment in the vehicle. So we really didn't get the, the positive end to that deal. It, and I don't really think that Bill Clinton did it on purpose. I don't even think he knew what was going to be the result. But we in engineering, we knew yeah. because we knew what we had done. And you can't just come in and say, start over, make it cheaper, when people have spent 10 years developing something that goes across multiple programs. It affected the shuttle. It affected our friends. It affected so many things. You can't come in and redesign that on a whim and think you're going to save money. That's what the White House did. That's what happened. Oh, and that's, no. why the, that's why the space station got to that point. And that's why we never went back to the moon because we scrapped everything back with Shuttle C where we would never have been, you know, with Shuttle C, which could have built the space station in a lot less time. Uh, than the, the space shuttle, and then when the redesign hit from Bill Clinton, it got rid of the interplanetary hangar so we could no longer even think about going to the moon and beyond. So that's how we ended up where we are now. Thank God um, that we have finally put the space station, space shuttle to rest. Uh, I don't think, I think it was a dangerous vehicle myself, and it has proven to be um, because of the way it was set up, having the tanks on the side of it, the, one of the most explosive uh, elements of the space vehicle right next to the crew, you, that's insane. We've never done that before, and that's why a lot of vehicles, that's why the Challenger blew up. But the other one was the reentry tiles. Uh, once they had burned away or something like that, it damaged them. They were so fragile that it exposed, exposed raw aluminum and the heat. There's no way the aluminum could withstand that heat, and that's why we lost uh, the last one. So now with Orion, which I'm really happy about Orion, we've gone back to basics, sort of. It's a bigger, better spacecraft. It's like Apollo on steroids. Uh, we have modern technology, electronics, things like that. So Orion and Orion will be capable. Uh, I remember the designer said, if we go to the moon and, uh, as one of our missions, we have failed because Orion is designed to go interplanetary. It's designed to go way beyond the moon. So thank God for that. I don't necessarily see that a lunar base uh, is going to help us that much. It, it, I think it would be a distraction uh, as far as uh, uh, resources, uh, design, and money. Um, we can accomplish the same thing if we add onto the space station, uh, Internet Space Station right now, a hangar, which we can build a vehicle in, going to the moon and then if we start building a lunar base, I mean, we're talking about uh, several decades before we even begin to think about uh, going in further out into the solar system and, and possibly landing on Mars. So that, in a nutshell, is how we got from 
the shuttle to not no moon, not be able to go to the moon, to the current space program and space station we have today. Yeah, I hope that answers some questions out there, because I think that was a great answer. That that's what happened. Put it to rest. I, there. I got to see it happen. I watched it. I was there, and I was sad because I'm, you know, I've been a member of the Planetary Society since I was 30 years old. I'm 62 now, so I'm a space enthusiast. You know, I I, I love things that fly and I love things that go into space. So I was really disheartened to see that our our nation was going in that direction when we could have been doing so much better. I mean, the things that we could have been able to do, um, I remember uh, 2001 Stanley Kubrick's film, and we could have done those. Uh, uh, but, you know, because of that uh, abrupt change in direction, all that became just dreams and science fiction, and um, now we're, I think we're behind the curve. We should be out in to the solar system by now. I really do. I believe that. And um, going back to the Apollo missions, there were rumors that Neil Armstrong and um, Buzz Aldrin both saw a, a UFO during their landing. Uh, what do you make of that? I heard about that, and I think I even got a chance to hear some uh, audio. Um, it's more than possible. It's not. They're not the first to be able to, to uh, astronauts to see something uh, uh, anomalous, uh, unidentified. Um, you know, Gordon Cooper saw something. Um, I think uh, uh, there were a few other astronauts that, you know, and there were some on the shuttle that have seen something. Um, th- th- mathematically, it's as- the, the, the chances are astronomical that a separate uh, a life form that grew up to be intelligent and intelligent enough to to escape the gravitation of their home planet and not only travel into space but travel travel interplanetary, which is an um, uh, enormous amount of technology and uh, resources, fuel and etc., and do it in a lifetime, one lifespan, and find the Earth in the middle of this giant cosmic sandbox, the odds are astronomical. Not impossible, but really way out there. If they found us, if that's the if that's the way it may have happened, if they were out there somewhere separate from us and they found us, if that is the case, uh, uh, because of different uh, uh, theorists, if they planted us here, then that would make a lot more sense. Um, if they were interdimensional, that would make a lot more sense because then you're not finding us, so, so to speak, maybe finding us in a different way. Uh, if they're time travelers, that would make a lot more sense. But those are, you know, incredible. Uh, those almost, you know, it's almost science fiction to even think that. And so um, NASA and aerospace companies never, never think in that direction, and they never talk about UFOs and things like that because it opens up the uh, uh, Pandora's box. But by the way, I asking a yeah, lot more questions. that reminds me, um, no one you worked with ever mentioned the topic of UFOs when you were uh, that deep in there. No. No one ever never. said anything. Never. Interesting. Never. And, 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 and you don't want to be the one to bring it up. Oh no! It would not be. It would not be a beneficial. It would matter of fact. You may as well shoot yourself in the foot. Oh no! It would be the worst thing you could possibly ever ever do. That bad? 
Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, especially if you want to outshine somebody else, that's not the way to do it. It's competitive. <laughs> yes. It's extremely competitive, and you will literally miss opportunities that have could have provided for you and your family in the long run. I mean, I mean, big, big. You know, you would have been skipped over for promotions and programs because one program leads to a bigger program, and that it kind of works like that. I mean, I started off in aerospace in the Air Force, and then I went to Skunk Works, and we're, because I was on the, in the Air Force working on the U-2, and oh, that was designed by Skunk Works, and then I went immediately left out of Skunk Works, I mean, uh, the Air Force, and I went into Skunk Works, which we designed the Stealth Fighter, and from the Stealth Fighter, I went to the B-1 Bomber program. They're just That's how things leapfrog in aerospace. And then eventually I ended up on the space station program, even though I worked on GPS and a bunch of other things. But if I would have started talking about UFOs back when I was at Skunk Works or something like that, I can guarantee you I never would have even gotten close to the space station. Understood. Yeah, they, they wouldn't would, have let me. Yeah. They would have given they you the X. Yeah. They wouldn't have let me get close to the space station. And I, I'm sure wouldn't have been in charge of some of the components that are flying over our heads right now. Yeah. It would not have, that wouldn't have happened. I'm I'm almost certain there's got to be a few people on the inside that are interested in that topic, though. There's got to be. Um, I didn't say they weren't interested. Oh, sure, sure. You know, it's it's kind of like a pilot. You know, you 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 behave a certain way because it will affect you physically and financially. <laughs> now, yes. it has nothing to do with what's going on inside your cranium. That's a whole other ball game. You know, I have seen a lot of interesting, weird stuff that I tend to lean into believing that definitely there's something uh, non-terrestrial about it. Well, there's got to be. I mean, when we talked, one of the last times you've mentioned uh, technology being far more advanced in those days than what the general public had. So you can only imagine mm -hmm. what we have today, right? Yeah, there, and yeah, there's certain um, things that I've uh, had a chance to see and, and uh, be a part of that was at least – and we we knew this, and this was the same, 40 to 50 years in the future as far as current technology. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, that's really incredible. And and that if that's advanced, that type of advanced, and, and, we, and we, the reason I don't want to say too much about it because it was a Department of Defense program, with, you know, military. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so it's still, you know, kind of happening. Um, but if we had that, you have to think about what led to that. How did we get there? How come this is above everybody else? Because uh, society, even globally, kind of moves at the same level of improvement. You know, they were making, like, for instance, they were building uh, pyramids in Egypt at the same time over in, you know, they were building pyramids, step pyramids in, in uh, South America. So they were kind of like – Moving at the, we may be doing a little bit different, but we're moving at at the same level. We're talking about a quantum leap uh, in technology that nobody has. It doesn't exist anywhere yet. We have it within our our borders and our shores. So you have to start thinking, where does that trace from? I mean, we we look back in 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 history uh, as far as the effects on our technology, where we know the Germans had a major impact on what we do today. Oh, very, you know, very much. Werner von Braun, yeah, major, major impact. So we can draw a line 
from literally from the space shuttle all the way back to the V2 Werner Ron Braun was working on. We can do that. We understand that. But we can't draw a line back with some of the technologies that I've had a pleasure to be exposed to. We can't draw it back. So where does it go? And and in in the area that I was in, it was, you know, one of the biggest things about secret uh, uh, um, classifications in, in the DOD is you have to have a need to know. You can't just have a secret clearance or a secret gold or a secret silver, which is the subclassification for them. I had a secret silver, and then I went to secret gold. But you can't just have that and go walking in anywhere you want, any kind of secret gold program. That, that doesn't work that way. Um, you have to have a need to know. And if you don't have a need to know, you'll be arrested and treated as if you don't have any clearance at all. They will treat you the exact same way. So that compartmentalizes a lot of the advanced technologies and 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 how and and backtracking ability uh, within that whole industry that it's impossible for someone with no power or very little to be able to put the whole story together because you just can't. You you won't be allowed to. There'll be barriers, you know. So um, I do believe that there have been some barriers set up in some programs and things that I was working on that I can speculate about where the sources are and how do you trace it back and was it where does the technology originate. And uh, even today, I can tell you this. I worked on Strategic Defense Initiative, right. which was – which was uh, President Reagan's Star Wars program, anti anti ballistic missile program. We had some technology in there, and I worked on that uh, back in 1990s, early 90s. There's some technology in the, that particular program that I can say here in the year 2018, 20, I mean 2018, we don't know where it came from. Wow. So it's and it's still a huge, huge secret. That's pretty stunning. Yeah, so that right there, the fact that it exists, you know, uh, you don't, we don't know what we don't know. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes. Yeah, but there is some kind of physical evidence of certain things that might point you in a certain direction. That's the best I can put, way, way I can put it. Can you confirm or deny that there is a secret space program, Albert? Oh, definitely. I can because I'm not involved in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Yes. But, oh yeah, definitely. We've been hearing oh. a lot about that in the past couple. Oh, it's DOD, Department of Defense. Now. But yeah, oh, are you kidding? That's 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 an old idea that was thought of a long, long time ago. And and, you, and the reason and and one of the clues is that ever so often, when throughout the entire space program, there were military pilots. And they and some of them were actually classified. So that tells you something's going on. Why was the shuttle? So several shuttle missions were classified, by the way. And and they were military pilots. They weren't civilian pilots. They weren't like you know um, Christy McCullough and teachers and things like that. They weren't that. They were military and they had certain clearance. And they came back and they didn't talk about it. Also. There is the I can't remember the designator, but there is a space vehicle shuttle that the Air Force or Department of Defense in general is uh, operating right now 
that is capable of staying up extended periods of time because it doesn't have humans on board. So you don't have to worry about environmental control systems um, and food and things like that, and it's capable of staying up in excess of a year. That's incredible. Uh, yeah, doing what is the question. Jeez. You think if space is a, or even around our planet is a big place, and again, if you launched into space right now above your where you are, you wouldn't see anything except for Earth. There'd be nothing to do out there. It would be boring. You'd see maybe the moon in the distance, but around you, nothing. So what do we need a space vehicle that's not going to the space station, is unmanned, but is capable of staying up in space and orbiting the Earth for a year and returning on its own? Why would we need that? Yeah, great question. So, <laughs> yeah. Then why do we need that? We can, we can, if we want to go into space, we have access. We even have civilian space programs now. SpaceX, Origin, you know, Virgin. We have those now. Why ever, do we need it? Would you ever take one of those uh, resorts that they plan to do? But then again, you would need it depends $3 million. On the vehicle. Oh, it depends, it on, depends the on the vehicle I get up there with and come back with. Like you, I said, you would I, have, uh, Albert, I you would have so many flaws in the shuttle. Mm -hmm. There's no way you could have paid me to, to fly in it. Is too many flaws, and and see my one of my jobs. My job was maintainability and reliability, and that's basically calculating failures. How how many failures per hours or per flight hours or space hours, depending on how you want to look at. It. So that was my job. So I could figure out uh, what type, how how long you could operate a specific piece of equipment, and before you had a failure, and what kind of failures you would have and how often you'd have them and what you would have to do to repair it. So that, that was my job. So knowing that, and because I worked on a space station, which interfaces with the shuttle, there's no shuttle, there's no space station without the shuttle, I got a chance to review a lot of technical data on the shuttle. And what I found is there were too many single-point failures that were going to cause catastrophic, catastrophic results. That, to me, I wouldn't fly on an airplane if it had single-point failures that caused catastrophic uh, results, and a lot of them. Oh, so yeah. right there, that's not a safe vehicle. I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm glad it's gone be only because it was dangerous, and I'm glad when we have something better. But it was never, never, ever a safe vehicle. There were too many moving parts, uh, over a million moving parts, and I can't even add up the amount of catastrophic failures, single-point failures it had. And we, we saw that in, in real time, and it cost lives. So, no, I wouldn't have gone up on that, but I would go up on something now, uh, depending on the space vehicle and, and its reliability. I think I'm a little too paranoid to jump into space anytime soon. And, by the way, I don't have $3 million to buy a ticket, so <laughs> yeah, I don't think that. I could afford that. That's it. And, you know, uh, I think John Glenn was the oldest person to go up in space, uh, and he was a seasoned veteran. Um, I tell you, I was at the Renaissance Fair, and I got on the bell ride, and I almost lost, threw, threw up my guts on that whole day. I'm telling um, you. I don't, think we, I don't know if I can handle weight, weightlessness. <laughs> I don't think I can either. That's just too crazy for me. Yeah, it's a, you know, the mind would be willing, but the stomach would not. Exactly. So. <laughs> my mind would say, hell yes, but my body, yeah. not so much. Yeah, and and um, I don't know if you you've ever, if you've ever been to Disneyland. Oh yeah, of course, and, uh, of course. You've been on the teacup ride. I sure that have. Is, oh my God, I don't either survive that or you're, it ruins your entire day. <laughs> after you throw up, you'll be all right. Uh, well, I don't know. I was nauseous hours afterwards. I, but the thing is, is 
how do you function in space oh, if you're nauseous? Albert, that, that reminds me. When I experienced an earthquake out here in El Centro, where I'm at, uh, back in 2010, there was a very powerful earthquake on uh, Easter. And that right there, the teacup thing, sure, I, I was dizzy. But nothing compared to being in, uh, inside of, of, uh, of the zone where a, an earthquake just occurred, mm-hmm. that, that zone right there. And that's when I was extremely dizzy and lightheaded. I've mm. ne- never have been that dis- uh, disorientated uh, on any ride compared to an earthquake. Well, you know, one of the things that... Uh, it was like a creates, 7.4. One of the things that creates nausea is, uh, is the mind and and eyes and coordination, unable to predict the next gravitational pull on us. If we can't predict that and we get fooled by it, it causes the inner ear to go crazy and that causes nausea. So in an earthquake sense, you, there's no way you could predict which way the, the earth was going to be moving yeah. or shaking around. Same way on a, on a ship. Sometimes when on a on a uh, rough seas, you can't really predict what it's going to be doing. And that, for those people who are sensitive to that, that's going to introduce nausea. Yeah, that's another um, one. I could never do a cruise. Yeah, and and I have I have virtual reality. I have uh, the HTC uh, Vive. You have the drone, uh, right? Yeah, that, and I have uh, the Vibe that goes on your computer where you actually you experience 3D worlds. You're inside the world. That's pretty cool. The world. Yeah. yeah, the thing about it, though, is that, and when it first came out, there, there's uh, flight simulators and things like that where you're actually doing barrel rolls and incredible maneuvers. And even though you're physically not moving, you actually get motion sickness. Yes. Because you can't, the eye can't predict. It, it, it fools it. You know, the eye is saying, we should be feeling gravity right now. This should be pulling me this way. And when that doesn't, it, the inner ear gets really, uh, um, uh, um, I guess, reading it gets unstable, and we start getting that sense of nausea. And a lot of people are complaining about that with virtual reality right now because, you know, we need to be a predict with the effects on the body before they happen. I think I even seen a video online of a, a guy, um, I think it's called the Oculus. Mm-hmm. Um, Oculus Rift. Oculus Rift, correct. They were, they were playing a game. And I guess you could see one of the characters, well, you could see all the characters. Um, and apparently one guy had a seizure. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, if you can go on YouTube and you can type in uh, people's reaction to 3D headsets. And, you know, the nothing's moving physically. The ground mm-hmm. is not moving. And they're actually losing their balance and falling as if something yeah. is moving. And and that's because of the illusion. The the eye is saying you should feel this force on you. This is happening. You can see it, and that's the eye. And because of all the experience with seeing and relating that force, all of a sudden now you don't feel it. The everything, the information goes haywire, and that's when you know all of a sudden people fall out. They fall out, and I've seen them in malls and. And I mean, literally hit the ground hard as if they, you know, they had no idea that uh, they weren't moving physically. And I, I thought that personally was fascinating. <laughs> it is. It really is. The only time I've that ever you, seen people fall was uh, playing that game. Yeah. That dance, that dance revolution. <laughs> the physical body into thinking there's something outward force upon it just by vision. That's amazing, and it, I've experienced it personally because I have, in the beginning when I first got my uh, Vive, 
I actually felt motion sickness, and I had to take it off or close my eyes while I was playing the game. And even though I closed my eyes, I said to myself, There's n- the, my office is not moving. My desk is not moving. Why do I feel this way? Ah, Just because yes. of visual. That's, and that's fascinating to me. It really is. And, you know, I, I haven't been on um, one of those drones before with with the with the goggles and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't mm-hmm. done that, but I have operated one before, and it is a lot of fun. I'm going out this weekend uh, to, oh, nice. to fly. I love, love flying. Uh, FPV is called uh, first-person view. Yeah, right. I have my fat shark goggles, and I have a... Uh, I have a VTOL uh, aircraft that uh, vir- that virtual takeoff and it turn- transitions into forward flight. I have that with uh, that with the camera on it that I can take it high up and look down. Yeah. I have another one, another That's airplane. Stuff right there. Yeah, I have one that an airplane that it has a pan and tilt camera on it, where when I look to the side, it actually turns the camera on the plane and looks to the side or looks wherever I look, so you get the sensation that you're actually in the cockpit. Oh cockpit. wow. Of the plane. No, that's not, a cool feature. A lot of fun. Oh, yeah. It's a lot of fun. Oh, I mean, by the way, Doctor, we, we do have a caller here for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, caller, go ahead. How you doing, Doctor? I'm doing great. How are you? Great, great conversation. Great. Every time you come on the show, it's always a, a treat. It's uh, just Thank very you. informative. So Thank I you. Love when you come on the show. It's a great discussion. But um, quick question for you. I was wondering... In your opinion, you were talking about, you know, um, interplanetary travel and some of the technologies that you obviously had uh, access to. Uh, I, I kind of wonder what your take is if we have, if you think this planet has the natural resources really necessary to do extensive interplanetary travel, or is that technology something that we need to obtain and then bring back here so that we can not really explore the universe. Well, as we, um, I'd say yes, the I believe planet Earth uh, has the resources. Uh, it may not have the technology, meaning that we may have to refine those resources and, and combine uh, uh, raw materials to come up with a new material. Um, that's one of the reasons that we're going to be doing uh, f- uh, missions to asteroids because there are some asteroids out, out there that are made of pure uh, substances and metals that we don't have here on Earth. So uh, I believe technology-wise, if we can get the resource, we definitely can do it. Um, but one, another resource is, is money, and it takes a great deal. And because, and I think it takes uh, not a nation but a world. And because the world is so divided, that's going to be uh, uh, hold us back in what we can accomplish in planetary exploration um, a great deal. But um, uh, if that weren't a problem, I think that it could be something that we would be almost like the television show, The Expanse, where we would be out there all over our solar system. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Maybe we'll figure out a way to turn you know our wa- our our water into some type of uh, you know energy. That it's interesting you said that well, because I was going to ask doc- uh, the doctor right here. Um, why exactly are we still using fossil fuels as our main source of energy? Yeah, that, you know it's 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 terrible, that, really. That's that's yeah. As far as efficiency and and what we're trying to accomplish, that's never the that's not what with fuels, our space programs and our technology 
it's it's you know um, fuel co- oil companies and metal companies and they it, it it's not in their best interest to develop even though they a lot of them have the capability like GE and a bunch of it's not in their necessary best interest to develop something that's going to make their product obsolete. You, you follow me? It's not in their best interest. So there's going to be a restriction or a slow walk, so to speak, in moving to uh, advanced technologies and advanced resources to uh, because there's when there's a financial loss, that grinds everything to a halt. There's, the knowledge is there. I mean, I was working on ion propulsion engines back in the early 90s. So the knowledge is there. It's been there for a very long time, and it's super advanced now. But because it's going to have an impact on other things, uh, that's going to slow slow it down, and it's not going to evolve and be deployed as soon as it could be. Do you ever think we'll get to a point where we will uh, kind of say, for lack of better words, you know, to hell with money and um, really start to focus on you know this stuff? Not unless we build up build a different. Uh, dynamics and and process and, and uh, earth economy. I I don't think so. Um, I would I, I, ideally that would be great. But the thing is, is that when we can shift from thinking about the advantages we have here on Earth and how to exploit those to thinking about the galactic uh, or solar, let's say, advantages that we'll have. Uh, when we can do that, we'll be better off because we no longer have to uh, hoard uh, uh, the resources here on planet Earth when we can go to uh, Enceladus uh, and there's an ocean of water beneath the ice. So okay. when we can get access to things like that, the resources like gold and uh, other substances, they won't have their value and, and, and won't be, be as uh, – will be depleted a lot when you can – you know, you don't have to come here to create, let's say, uh, hydrogen fuels. You, you know, and you can mine things in different uh, other locations. So, I hope that when we can do that, especially you know, another thing. Let me let me put a, a bright spin on this. One of the best things that's happening right now that's going to change everything is the civilian companies that are building spacecraft and, and exploring space. That's what's going to change. It's going to go from the government. Uh, funded programs to everyday civilian, and that's when it's going to go from just uh, test pilots flying advanced aircraft to, you know, airline industries that we have today. That's how it works. So uh, space is going to get easier, uh, cheaper, uh, and it's going to be a move further out because there's going to be resources and reasons for us to do that. And the civilian technologies, I believe, are going to lead the way on that. So we'll get there, just not the way we're presently approaching it. You don't think they will be policed too much by the governments? I don't think so. Uh, they may try, but there's going to be a negotiation because if the government has something to gain out of it, then they're not going to stop it. I mean, you know, taxes are taxes. They still get their taxes. I don't care where you bring the fossil fuel or the, the resources from. You know, if you go out and you mine something, you bring it back here, then they get their cut, so to speak. So, and they'll be able to use that for their own purposes and exploration or whatever. So, I don't think the government's going to stop that. It's just which government is going to 
promote it and enable it. That's the thing. Which government is really on the on this planet going to really do that? And I have to tell you, we are not necessarily in that position right now, meaning uh, the United States. Right. We are not the most aggressive nation pursuing uh, space technologies and to exploit resources that that are out there. We're not the ones really at the fore. We're not even number three. So we need to get it together. But we're going to be left out. Well, thank you so much. We'll, be, we'll have the table scraps. Yeah, and, and by the way, Doc, I, I don't think I've ever heard your opinion on psychics, healers, and channelers. Are you on board with these individuals? I can't say that because that that's a broad brush. Uh, I do believe certain people have talent, but um, sadly, the majority that I've investigated, and because I, you know, I, I sat down, I, I sat in the audience of James Van Prague many a time, and and to, and and I sat there for a different reason because I was doing research. So um, my findings are the vast majority of people. They may be good people. I'm not saying they're bad people. But they may want to believe they have abilities rather than actually having them. And there's only a handful, if that, that I can actually say I have found physical uh, and factual uh, evidence that they have some, some uh, ability. Empirical evidence, for sure. And what, yeah. about, you, what about you, Max? Are, are you on board with uh, psychics and healers and channelers? Um, are, are you on board with these folks? Not really for the same. Not really. Yeah, I've, I've never really had a compelling enough logical, and a lot of it isn't logic based, but I, I tend to stick on the lean on the side of logic. And um, yeah, I've not really, um, but there's certain phenomena that can't be des- described. Uh, right, and, so. and 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 it's minimal. There's only a few, you know. Unfortunately, there's more non. There's more places to waste your time than there is places where you actually get something of value. True. Yeah, so I'm not exactly 100% on board with, with some of these individuals out there who claim to have these uh, feats about them, but I, I never do deny the fact that sometimes we do obtain information in very strange ways. Mm-hmm. I can't right. deny that part at all. Right, right. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've heard of, of uh, um, people... Um, you got, uh, finding things that they, there's no way logically they should have been able to locate uh, the item. Yes. And, and it's just, it's a mystery where it's just, it's something within them. Um, but I, but this is, this is kind of my rule, my guideline for when I investigate, uh, paranormal phenomena is that if the person is bragging about it or they're seeking attention or, or, they're discounting someone else and saying it's their way or the highway. I generally think that that's in a no-go column. I don't believe. The, the, the ones that I really have marveled at and I can't explain are the ones who would say something one time and then tell you they don't want to ever see you again, take that knowledge out and go do something with it. So, and, I, and there's a hand. There's, I, and I don't know if he's still alive. I hope to God he is. There's a guy named Kevin Ryerson who, to me, out of all of the people with abilities who claim to have abilities, he's the only one that I can actually say I cannot explain uh, how he does it except for it, it must be some kind of um, uh, psychic ability. 
Kevin Ryerson. I think he might um, be alive, Doc. He, and I don't think I heard of him passing. I just he just you notice how quiet he is. He does. He's not on you know television like a lot of these psychics. And yeah. You don't see him doing seminars and you know it, it doesn't work. And he's got he's amazing in my opinion. Yeah, he's a name and, I don't very I, I don't hear very often. Right, right. So there's a handful, and I've met a couple here and there. Uh, I met a one woman who was diagnosed with cancer and. She had a near-death experience, and somehow she, because of her the the experience and what illumination she got from the experience, she actually meditated, and she her cancer went away without treatment, and she's still alive, and she was supposed to die within five years, and I think it's been 20 years now. So that kind of thing, uh, and where doctors can't explain it, or um, um, those things exist out there. Right. Um, but... But the ones that exploit it, the ones that it's it's uh, entertainment, uh, I that's just distraction. I, I stay away from that, and it and it also hurts the the people who are actually able to do things. Does this mean you're not a fan of Sylvia Brown? <laughs> oh my God, you! Oh, <laughs> you remember her? I don't. I don't want to say anything about the the dead, but. Um, I, I and I met her, and I would say that she was probably and I, I I think nothing but positive things for these people until something happens to prove otherwise. So I I wanted her to have everything the abilities that she said she had, but she proved to me through my research that that was didn't exist. I mean zero. Um, and uh, yeah, I was. She was one of the biggest disappointments I have uh, actually had the pleasure of uh, uh, looking into. Oh my, understood. Yeah. yeah, she she really hurt a lot of families out there. Yeah, I was. It was sad. The whole. It just. I just. I don't understand that. You know? I don't I, either. And if if your motivation is money, I. To me, the motivation. That's what I like about Kevin, because the motivation is spirit. It's about spirit and soul consciousness that to me there's no dollar value on that and when you try to when mix in money it becomes something else and and it doesn't become genuine it's not genuine anymore to me because monetary gains are only temporary you're not going to take it with you but you are going to take the experiences of your soul with you so when people with these abilities focus on that um, I I tend to see that there's more validity in, in their abilities than than not. There's another man by the name of Daryl Anka uh, who does a character by the name of Bashar. Have, are you familiar with that guy? I'm not familiar with him. I have uh, 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 had ex- uh, been exposed to other people who channelers. Is that yeah. what he is? Yeah, he's a channeler. Yeah, have, nice guy yeah. though. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not talking about personalities. Oh, no, me yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I I'm not you. saying any of these people are bad people. It's, they just have know, questionable um, motives, rather. Yeah, and then uh, their deeds are not mutual, beneficial to all. I hear they you. Encounter. What about you, Max? Are you, are you familiar with the late Sylvia Brown? Do you, do oh, you remember yes. her? The old psychic network. The uh, Back in the day, right? I almost called in. Did you really? <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, almost wanting to do that, to call in and to see what it was all about. It's just uh, unfortunate what happened with that. It, it, I mean, 
the fact that it was commercialized. It's too. such a 90s uh, nostalgic uh, moment here, isn't it? Yeah. Thinking about yeah. Sylvia Brown and Art Bell and my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, what? one of the things that strikes me about, um, and I want to get off the subject of her because I don't want to beat up on I hear someone you. who's bad. Yeah, not, we, we should um, do that. Yeah, I was disappointed uh, about her predictions mostly. Mm. And one time she predicted that uh, to a family that a little girl a had little been. A little girl, yeah. Yeah, and uh, and that and she had been killed. She they said she was she said she was uh, enslaved or something, mm-hmm. which gave some hope to the family. But she had died shortly after was murdered. Shortly after she disappeared, and this went on for a long time. And I think there was even money exchange, and that just damn that just made me sick. Yeah. So that kind of thing, I, I have zero tolerance and patience for, um, and it it becomes a uh, something that I ignore, uh, give no validity or credibility to whatsoever. No doubt. And uh, yeah. uh, another thing a lot of listeners are curious about, uh, the subject of astral projection. Um, everyone likes to talk to me about that subject. I'm not quite sure why. But uh, when I announced you were you were going to be on this program, a lot of people uh, wanted me to ask you the, the most basic way to astral project um, are, are there any just quick methods you could give out? Uh, well, Doc? other than sticking your finger in a light socket. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. That's the quickest way. That's true. Good answer. <laughs> yeah. No, um, it's about relaxation and clearing the mind. If you can't do those things, you're probably not going to have an experience. Um, the more active the mind is, the more attached it is to the physical body and the physical world. Uh, the more tense the physical body is, the more the tighter its grip on the second body, uh, the astral form or soul consciousness. So, um, practicing that uh, uh, is the one of the biggest keys. And 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 I think I, you know I mentioned in my book, um, Soul Traveler, that in, in chapter ten there is a technique that I call the interrupted sleep technique. And that what that does is that it helps you. With, like it kind of gives you a a plus. Like you may be able to clear your mind and meditate, but this gives you a few more cheater points to to have it occur. Uh-huh. And one of the things is to sleep deprivation really works when it comes to astral projection. The body will fall asleep quicker, and the soul consciousness will stay at a heightened uh, level of awareness. So sleep deprivation does work, and the interrupted sleep technique that I list in my book, which you can look at, you know, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. Go to Amazon.com, look it up for free. My book is in the library. You can go to the library and you can look it up, you know. It's a great book. I I actually lost my physical copy, I think, uh, more than three years ago. Uh, Well, I have to take care of you on that. Um, But anyway, what it does is is a a controlled uh, sleep deprivation process that I listed that helps people have out-of-body experiences even if you've never had one before ever or that you remember having before in your life. I know a woman was 40 years old, never had the experience that she could remember. She tried this over a period of time, and don't put a time limit on it because that adds too much tension to the whole experience, but try it openly for a period of time. And she actually had uh, her first out-of-body experience, which changes a person 
uh, forever. Like, uh, it changed me. Oh, yes. You know, I've had multiple, but it actually, you know, like I was mentioning before, it changed art, too, in, in a way that was profound. So, um, like I said, check check that out. And if you have any problems, anybody out there who wants uh, some more information on that, s- send me an email. I try to answer all my emails. And they can send me an email at, I've had it for 20 years, so it hasn't changed, at S-O-L. T R A V as in Victor L E R at AOL dot com. That tells you how old it is. And uh it's also in the back of my book. Write me and I'll try to help you as much as I possibly can. Excellent. And yes, lots of people can't recall their dreams uh, you know, during REM sleep. Our body naturally shuts down. Uh shuts down certain receptors in our brains, those neurochemicals out there floating around. It's it, it acts almost like a uh defense mechanism. Uh, mm-hmm. preventing us from remembering these things, even though all of us do them. The thing about it is it's there. It, the the memories are there. It's just um, in the subconscious rather than the, the conscious uh, uh, level. And case in point, how many times have you ever been, you know, you had a dream and you didn't even think about the dream maybe when you woke up and maybe a week or two later, something was happening. You were getting a drink of water or somebody mentioned something, and all of a sudden you thought, wait a minute, I dreamt something. Like, and then the dream starts coming back. Flashbacks, And you start yes. remembering that as a dream. Well, that tells you it was there. And not only was it there, it wasn't alone. It's there with all the memories of out-of-body experiences. So the key, or one of the keys, is learning how to unlock that. So, you know, one of the biggest deterrents is that people think this is something new I have to learn to do. No, it's not something new. It's something you've been doing for a long time ago. You just have to figure out how to improve your memory of the experience. And that makes it a little easier, and that makes the techniques and, and procedures to accomplish that a little simpler and easier to achieve. Now, Doc, when are you going to release a new book? Lots of people want <laughs> new material from you. I, I finished one and I hated it. Okay. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah, are you, are you a perfectionist? It, it's, it's not that. It's just if I can't provide some information that's going to help people out there, then what's the point? Ah, uh, yeah, I hear you. That's how I look at it. You know, I'm not interested in telling a, a nice story about my life or you know something I, that I, that doesn't interest me at all. I want to be able to pass the baton. I really feel that Robert Monroe. When he passed away, he passed away the same year my, my book came out. I really felt all this time that he passed the baton to me. And with that came a lot of responsibility. And so now if I'm going to pass anything to somebody else who is going to carry this on beyond the time frame that I'm going to be here on earth, then I want them to have something of value that, that stands alone and can support itself. And I haven't felt that I would have been able to do that just yet, but... I am working on Soul Traveler 2, Journey of the Cosmic Soul. It's a 20-year culmination of all my research and experiences and uh, uh, astrophysics and a bunch of other things that pull together on who and what we really are and, moreover, what we're capable of, of, meaning out-of-body experiences and those other things. So I am working on it. Um, I, I thought about it today. 
that I've got because I'm getting a lot of letters of people asking me that, that I, I got to get this out, and, but I feel good about this one for the first time in 20 That's years. That's what I've been been told <laughs> myself. You you got to get Albert to work on that book. Yeah, I feel good about this one, and I know when it's finished, it's going to be something that I can stand behind. So. Uh, give me a, give me a little bit of time, but I'm definitely going to get it out there. That's good news. I'm glad. And yes, Robert Monroe, uh, pioneer, uh, his book, uh, Journey Out of the Body. Right. Lots of folks like that one. Yeah. Yeah. I had the pleasure of meeting Lori Monroe, which is his daughter. Oh, who did you? Passed away. Yeah, yeah. She passed away though. She took over for a little while. And I had a, I did a television show in Chicago or something with her. So I had the pleasure of meeting her, which was a wonderful, wonderful experience. Um, you know, when I've been having these experiences since I was five years old, and I just, because I was raised Catholic, nobody ever talked about them, and it always um, was something negative in my family. So I never really embraced it or learned uh, from it, and it, I don't, I never thought of it being beneficial to me up until, uh, you know, I, until I read Journeys Out of the Body and, and um, The Ultimate Journeys by Robert Monroe, because what was so powerful about his books is that it wasn't telling me, uh, teaching me, uh, or revealing to me something that I didn't know. It was sharing with me something that I had experienced that I had no answers for, which is more powerful. I thought, oh, that's happening to me. So that was that changed a lot of things, and I realized, oh, my God, I'm not alone, and this is what it is. And I no, have long, no longer have to struggle with words to, to, to try to describe something so amazing and wondrous. Yes, and, and he helped me with that. Oh yes, and Max, um, are, are you familiar with any of these things? Oh, yes, I'm so glad that you guys are talking about this. Actually, I was, I was sitting back here, uh, grinning from uh, ear to ear, just listening to it, uh, because you know I, I'm I'm always looking for information about focus levels and um, you know just trying to figure it out. And um, as you know, I, I've uh, at times sent you uh, um, even some of the Hemi the Hemi Sync. Uh, mm -hmm. combinations and things like that because I, it, as a creative person myself, I find that it really helps my mind, uh, and, and my ability to think outside of my mind, uh, for the lack of better words. So mm -hmm. this stuff is reality, but it's hard to find really concrete information on focus levels in general. Right. Online, um, unless you listen to some of Monroe's like previous, you know, work that's out there. It's, it's right. our um, interviews. And yeah. Things. And there, there's a, I think the Monroe Institute has regular uh, sessions uh, still where you can go to, go to their location and participate in, in them. But other than that, uh, there's just maybe, a, not, I don't want to say a handful, maybe two or three uh, instructors out there who have adopted the HemiSync programmer and are sharing it with the masses there's only a few so it's it's very limited in the places um a truth seeker can go to find what they need in regarding this but uh, one of the places i definitely i have the hemisync tapes myself and i can definitely recommend it to people out there for n numerous reasons like you just described not just having out of body experience but for relaxation and spiritual awareness and all kinds of other things happen to them i can recommend to everybody out there that hemisync uh uh sessions the class that they provide and on tapes or maybe dvd now uh is definitely worth it definitely definitely worth it a valued part of my collection wow oh yes oh yes and um Moving along here, I, I 
was kind of curious, um, Doc. I've never actually heard you mention music before, and I didn't know you were a fan of rap. I didn't say I was a fan. I'm just knowledgeable. It seemed like you knew. I was like, oh, but he seems to know. There's, a, there's some. I mean, um, I have a, I have a motorcycle, and on my motorcycle, I have it has stereo. It has eight speakers, and it speakers inside the, the, um, the helmet, and the, it's, it's a show bike. As I, I won some trophies on it, and it, and it, uh, it flashes music, the mute, the lights on it flash to the music, and it's just all that. One of the things I discovered is that because I've been a lot of different places, a lot of different shows, putting my bike in the shows, is there's certain areas where rap music fits really well for the audience. And and I have picked out a few that I like, and it's because of that that I've had exposure to it. But I can't say I'm a huge fan. I like Nas. Uh, um, my cousin performs with uh, – um, uh, uh, I can't think of his life. Marley's son, uh, Bob Marley's son. Uh, what's his name? Oh, God, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm trying. I can't even remember his name now. Yeah, anyway, I know who you're people, talking about, though. Yeah, for for the, uh, because of that, and my son, my cousin. I I mean, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Whispers, but my cousin is in the Whispers, and and through him, I've met you know Brian McKnight and a few other people. So that I've had been exposed to music in that kind of way. Um, and I love Pink Floyd. I mean, I love Pink Floyd. So, yeah, I have an interest in a lot of uh, different types of music, uh, but I wouldn't say I'm a huge rap fan, but there are a few songs that I really like. Uh, Sabali by Nas. Uh, Nas is uh, good. One, yeah, that's one of my favorites. So there are a few that I really like, and I got exposed to them by playing music on my motorcycle at uh, different uh, um uh, places that I've exhibit, so that's how I got exposed to it. Yeah, because I, I noticed you mentioned a, a very modern time rapper, and I just figured, you know, he might just like rap that was from the 90s, per se. So as soon as well, I heard you mention a newer rapper, I was like, oh, he seems to know. Maybe I, 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 let's say, maybe the title is what's throwing me off a little bit, because I can think of music back that wasn't called rap, and I didn't. No one had a name for it, you know. The, the Sugar Hill Gang, you know, uh, you know the hip hop, the hip to the hip hop. That one, and I don't, I don't remember them calling that rap back then. So, and then uh, even um, Blondie uh, had a, a song that she uh, it was spoken word, and that might have been called rap. Uh, when I was younger, when you say rap, you were that meant to talk to somebody. <laughs> Let me rap with you. That's what that meant. I guess I'm dating myself now. But that's what that meant. It wasn't so much music, and it's changed slowly but surely to represent something that um, it wasn't back when, when, but I'm getting exposed to it you know, now and over the past few years. So. Understood. And what about movies? Are you a big movie fan, Albert? I'm a huge movie fan, and uh, I've written a couple screenplays, as a matter of fact. Um, been to... Uh, uh, college courses on screenwriting um i'm a huge movie fan uh, and a sci-fi or or whatever um i i love it all um so i'd say i'm a product of hollywood i, I was born in los angeles california i lived in the miracle mile district which is just south of hollywood i'm a product of hollywood so so my neck of the woods that's a yes <laughs> yeah right there 
right yeah. in the heart. Everything from the classics. I like singing in the rain. I mean, I like the classics. Everything, the ghost and and, and uh, Mr. Chicken, Don Knotts. I mean, you know, um, I, 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 there's a lot of movies, and even all the way up into, to tell you the truth, I liked um, Melissa Fent. Uh, I thought that was really good, even though it's based on a Disney cartoon. But the movie with Angelina Jolie, I thought she did very good in that. So, you know, it, I, my interest in movies cover a broad range. And I'm a huge, huge Spider-Man fan, and I'm a huge uh, uh, Avengers and DC fan. So and you're a big, those movies I yeah, like, too. You're a big comic book uh, movie fan. Oh, definitely. I, I, you I, haven't grown, I was a you Spider-Man grown, and, and uh, Iron Man fan when I was... Little. Seven years old, I think. Yeah. You haven't grown tired of those films yet. Not at all. Not if at you all. See Keep my them office, coming. If you saw my office and on the door of my office door, on the back of it, is a six-foot uh, cardboard cutout of Spider-Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, you are a big fan. Yeah, you know, yeah I'm a huge fan. <laughs> there, huge, there's some, huge fan. There's some, some uh, comic book movies uh, that I just couldn't get behind. But I, uh, there's some that I do though, so I can't really make a, a big argument about that. Um, one of my complaints has always been uh, the same old formula being used in Hollywood. Um, yeah, I bring that up all constantly, but it, it's yeah. true, and it, and it and it exists um, in all platforms of film. And that and that that may be why we have so many reboots, you know, because it seems like the well has almost run dry on new ideas. And they're going back to older um, uh, formulas and, and things that worked back in the past and putting a, a new spin on them today. Um, but I'll tell you, you know, uh, to me, I think one of the last few creative uh, uh, original screenplays was The Matrix because that was that. nothing like anything we'd ever uh, seen on TV to date, even the, even the concept was very different and then after that it seemed like it it started just to to uh decrease a lot and there aren't any any there aren't that many unless I'm not thinking of there aren't any movies that have that wow factor uh like the matrix did uh coming out so I'm hoping it's a, it's you know it's like it's like music you know somebody comes up with a new hit you, you, you know, I always wondered how does the next person write a song that doesn't sound like their last song. <laughs> you know, where's that's true. Where's that, yeah, where's that creative thing coming? So, how does the next movie, you know, present itself that it's not like the old movie or an old idea that has already been run into the ground? And and I'm hopeful and I'm waiting for that to happen, but that hasn't happened to my uh, uh, knowledge. But um, you never know with the human uh, creative spirit that maybe something really unique. And 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 awe-inspiring is on the horizon that will come up, come out, and get us hooked on going back to the theaters again. I hear you. Yeah, The Matrix is a good example of that. Um, the only other film I could ever think of uh, at the moment right now is uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Um, yeah. With Jim Carrey. That that's the only movie uh, since The Matrix in 1999 that has and really that, that made me think. that was based on a true story, though, right? Yeah, yeah it is actually. There's yeah. a machine. Yeah. Yeah, and and ever, and ever since I saw that film, I always thought, man, this is going to this is this is something that's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Or it's based there on are, something there already. Are few. There are a few. I don't want to paint with a broad brush either. There are a few that really uh but there there's more 
let's see, uh, static out there in movies than there is really pure signals is the best way I can describe it. There's so much out there that I even, I, you know, I'm always hopeful as a screenwriter that if they could get that one made as, into a movie, then I have a chance. I always say that with the Sharknado ones. You oh, know, my God. Where, up there four, <laughs> I'm thinking, if somebody can sell that script, I can sell mine. Anyone could so do it, yes. They serve a purpose, I guess. <laughs> uh, Max right here is a screenwriter himself. Yeah, I'm a filmmaker, screenwriter. Uh, awesome, awesome. Yeah, I wanted to. I I wrote a screenplay. It's uh, you know one of the things I I was driving home, and I was listening to Coast to Coast. Uh, I think it was Art Bell, as a matter of fact. Oh wow! And they were they had uh, Father Malachi Martin on. Oh, classic. Yeah, and I'm listening to that, and I start thinking about because of this the spiritual experiences I've had that's changed my perspective which used to be, you know, dominated by Catholicism and their belief, right. which changed it to spirituality and all that. And I was thinking, what if we as uh, humanity and all the belief systems that we have, what if we got it completely wrong and it was nothing like what we thought? Meaning, meaning, not meaning that they didn't exist, but Christianity, the way that happened, it wasn't quite what we think and all that. And I started thinking about that. So I, and I thought, you know, um, what if, you know, uh, God had other sons besides Jesus, and he had more than one son? I'm writing a comedy, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, what if he had a son, and, I mean, the other sons? How, and they, instead of just uh, the earth, maybe these other sons were deities on different planets and different solars and whatever. And I ended up writing this, this uh, screenplay called Godfrey, and it's funny. And uh, I think it, it, um, it has a lot of potential. I'm not trying to pitch it on here, I guess. It sounds, kind of sounds like that. But I thought it was funny, and, I, and it was based on something that I thought, what if we got it all wrong? But what's so interesting about it and awesome about the, about it is it teaches a really, really cool lesson at the end. And those are the movies that really stay with me is not just the special effects factor or something like that. It's the ones I leave out of the theater, and I take them home with me, and they become imprinted on my life. Because yes. I think, wow, that, yeah, you know, like, everybody wants the future to be like Star Trek. Okay, that's left in print on our lives because we see how they've gotten along together in the future. So though the movies that leave that kind of impression on me um, are the ones that really I, I value. And that's what I hoped that I have written in my, my, pro, my screenplays is something that has a lasting impression on the viewer. I thought you were going to follow up with that, Max. I, I'm, my mind is blown. I, it's so great to hear folks uh, uh, that are writing and um, have uh, these types of perspectives about cinema and um, life. Uh, it's awesome. Oh, yes. And um, we are definitely coming to a close here on the interview. Uh, Max, did you have any final words for uh, the doctor here? Yeah, the uh, beginning of the discussion was profound about the late Art Bell. What a great story that was that you shared. Um, oh, thank you. It really so was, it, yes. And um, the interview uh, has been just great. Every time you come on, I, I'm always tuning in and, and playing this all the time over and over again. So I just wanted to thank you, uh, Dr. Taylor, for uh, um, you know sharing your insight and Michael for taking the call in and having you know just great guests. Yeah, no problem. Well, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Yeah. You, you have no idea how much that it feeds my soul when I hear that from people. Really Absolutely. Does. 
Yeah, thanks for writing. yeah, thanks for hanging out with us here. Absolutely, and keep writing, and because obviously Hollywood needs uh, something new, so new voices. I, I think I'm going to try to do it till the day I die, just like riding motorcycles. Salute to that. Have a good night. All right, gentlemen. take care. And uh, here we are again, just me and you, Doctor. And I must say, on uh, the subject of art, um, definitely meant the world to many folks out there. And strangely enough, um, when I had first heard of his passing, it didn't really fully process in my mind. It didn't quite hit me until maybe three, four days later. I was randomly listening to an older laptop of mine, and I fired up a, a media player called the Winamp. And mm-hmm. on one of the links there, it was a, a random link to a stream that I haven't heard in a long time. And on that very replay, it was an interview of you and Art. Mm. And wow. it, it was really weird. And at that moment, I realized, wow, Art is really gone this time. Mm. He's really gone this time. That yeah. I kept saying that over and over in my head. Yeah. Yeah, he's really gone this time. The world lost I, someone very special, and he was definitely someone who influenced me to uh, do this program yeah, as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm really at a loss for words except for stating what happened and how it's affected me. You, you know, I, yeah, I, you very can't close. Even, I can't even begin to put it into words. I, you know, I. it's funny because we weren't related. <laughs> you know, I've had lost relatives, but um, his impact. Uh, and the way he's influenced me and helped me and and just been there to just support me. I mean, I have a picture of him holding my book up, you know, that he put on his website. I mean, just to everything, it's just uh, mind-blowing the impact that he could have on this lonely person called Albert Taylor. It just blows me away, and saying that I'm grateful does not add anything to the words, to what the way I really feel. You're a class right, yeah. act, Albert. Well, I, I'm trying to get into heaven now, so. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. <laughs> well, Doc, it, it's been a great evening with you. It's always an honor and privilege to talk to you, my friend. And likewise, Michael. And and we haven't talked about robot investigation. We still so, haven't. Oh, my God. We, no. we need to get back into that. I'm going to have yeah. to um, invite you back. And we'll get into robotics. And, of course, I'm going to have to go out there and uh, have a drink with you sometime or join you on an on a, uh, investigation. You're more than welcome. Um, I don't drink, but I'll drink something, you know, Kool-Aid or whatever. you drink some milk. Juice. But <laughs> you're, you're, in, you're more than welcome to enjoy to uh, uh, visit us and go on an investigation. I would love and to. And you're more than welcome. We, My club, I belong to a FPV RC racing club. And we put on international uh, races at night, uh, and you're more than welcome to come out to uh, our races and, and witness night racing from international pilots from all over the, the, the place who come out and do that. So I'm going to have to take you up on that. that too. I'm going to have yeah. to take you up on that. Please, and and you're invited. You're also welcome to go with me to my robot meeting where we have robot builders who build uh, amazing. Uh, autonomous robots. So you're welcome to go there too. My goodness. Anytime. Let me know. My goodness. Well, thank you for, for those options. I really do appreciate that. And, uh, go, go ahead now and plug anything you'd like, my friend. I really don't have anything to plug except for, like I said, you know, yeah, my book, Soul Traveler. Yeah. It's still out there. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, I love everybody. And, um, 
if you have any, I just I think the most important thing is is just I want to be available to the people out there who need help in this area. So go to albertaylor.com, and you can email me from there, and I will. it may take me a while, but I'll definitely get back to you. Wonderful. Well, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program, and we'll touch base again in the very near future. Sounds like a plan, Michael. You have a good evening. All right. Good night, my friend. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care. And that was Dr. Albert Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. If you are listening to this on a replay, keep in mind you can listen in every Saturday night at 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 11 p.m. Eastern Time, live on the TuneIn radio app. We are having some issues with the stream, but I'll get that fixed uh, very, very soon here. And if you enjoy this program and want to help fund the program and help it keep moving and expanding, please feel free to donate any amount you'd like. Go to michaeldeacon.com and you can find that donate button. I hope you enjoy this evening. I'm Michael Deacon. Thanks for listening. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place, and life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody. I could tell that all the mainstream media outlets were giving me like the show. Our appropriate. I wish I could be in that ring with Holden right now. It's crazy. I had no idea they just for what it's worth, I want to put in my two cents to tell you both that you have one of the most incredibly well-rounded shows. the greatest tag team on the radio. Guess what, motherfucker? Flawless victory.